And we are recording. Oh, fuck. Why isn't that? Uh, it doesn't look good. You there? Um, I I was um, thinking that uh, what we were doing is going to be through Rumble, but so I got confused. Oh but... no no! Here, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start streaming it. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Nine, three, two, one, and we are recording and streaming with Mr. Charles Smith. And uh, this is the second episode I have now done live. I did the first one last night. And I'm trying to figure this shit out. So uh, you are on this baptism by fire journey with me, whether you like it or not. I'm glad you said yes, because I was just going to do it anyway. And uh, so <laughs> here we are with Mr. Charles Smith. He came on here what, last week or the week before. And I think we started with talking about the fourth turning and very quickly devolved into uh, UFOs, which uh, I'm, I'm happy you so gleefully uh uh, took me up on and didn't shy away from but for uh for all the new listeners mr smith please introduce yourself and tell them where they can find your uh your blog of two minds thank you tommy and um yeah yeah i, I have a blog at of two minds.com or charles hugh smith at dot blogspot.com which is my mirror site and then um it's a free site lot, all the archives are free and if you subscribe then you get um my weekly uh, musings report, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, people wanted to give me money. And so I had to do something for them. So that's the, that's the foundation of it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, so again, it's a, uh, I feel like I'm back at the beginning of this podcast. I didn't, you know, I've done a thousand, this is episode 1060. And I really felt like I, I felt like I had, you know, when you've had a car for a long time and it kind of feels like an extension of yourself. And then you get into someone else's car and you're like, oh, I actually have to focus on driving versus when it's your own. You don't really think about it. You're just kind of like whipping the wheel. And it's just very it is an extension of your body. That was the last that was the last thousand fifty nine episodes. And now I have lost that car. And now by doing them live, I'm very much in a new car mode where like a new car, it's it's sexy and it's, it's got the new car smell and that's exciting. But I also have no idea what I'm doing. And so it feels very clunky. I don't really know quite how to handle it, but we're just going to do it anyway. Um, and because of that, because it's not pre-recorded now, normally it's pre-recorded and then it's it's whatever the topic is, you know, it's afterwards. I can look at it and I go, what's the thesis of that whole episode? And it's just a couple words. You know, what was the predominant thing we talked about? And uh, And then that's what I make the title. Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> Because I have no idea, and a rational person might say, well, what's the topic for the upcoming episode? And then that will be the title. Well, as you know, I don't do that. I don't, I just, I throw the domino and I see which one it hits. I have no idea what's going to happen during an episode. So this one's titled, I think, just UFOs and Mankind, because I figured, well, I don't know, pick up on where we left last time. It's very odd to me. So you are in this weird you're in this weird kind of parallel universe with me for better or worse, Mr. Smith, you are going down this new path with me and we are hacking tree branches and killing wildlife and trying not to die. 
Sounds great. It's um, the survival mode. Um, I was going to pick up on your um, your auto, you know, driving a new car uh, metaphor and say, actually, we're in like, um, you know, like a Porsche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, we're, we're, you're, you're in the driver's seat and I'm kind of in the passenger seat going, wow, the visibility here really is poor. You know, like, why do people like this thing? You know, and it's like, um, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, there's always um, good and bad in a, in a new, in a new car, right? Some things you go, wow, this is really cool. And then other yeah. things it's all like, wow, this is really not that comfortable. And then, um, so there you go. And then you have me who knows how to butcher a conversation. I'm like, did you know this used to be a Nazi company? And uh, <laughs> it is kind of it's kind of funny, though, like people attacking Elon Musk. Right. It's just it seems to be that's like the new I'm indifferent about the guy. I don't I don't care. I don't I find it very difficult for me to criticize people who are orders and orders of magnitude more wealthy and successful than I just period. I don't I try not to criticize like the baby boomer generation because a lot of them are retired have made their money have raised kids that's more than i've done i'm not also so by extension people are like jeff bezos is evil what has he done i'm like he created amazon and used to sell hot dogs out of a vendor like a vending a, a pushable vendor i can't criticize him i can't throw a spiral football and therefore i also don't go out on a limb and tell tom brady how he should and should not play <laughs> so like that whole thing when people are like What's your opinion on Elon Musk? I'm like, I don't feel that I should have one. For better or worse. That being said, it is kind of interesting. And the point I was going to make is that people are selling their Teslas and buying like Volkswagen EVs and saying they're doing this to fight white supremacy because Elon's a white supremacist, but Volkswagen is the people's car in German. And I think you can trace back where that company was and what they used to do back in the 40s. It's kind of gray. You know, a lot of the engineers got hung for one reason or another. But to not go down that idea, but to rather go back to the side tangent I was going on. Do you see it too? Or is it or is it my own musings that just a year ago it seemed like Elon Musk was just, you know, normal amount of hate, normal amount of love. Kind of no different than whatever, Jack Ma, the guy that started Alibaba, right? Whatever. Some people hate him because he's a billionaire. Other people look up to him. But it's kind of, it's just out there. It's not, you're not necessarily for or against it, right? Like no one really ever comments on the sound panels that I have up. They're just, whatever. But the second he started challenging the status quo, I mean, really like like a new a new software update. A lot of people have kind of just started hating him. And very 1984-ish, we've always been at war with Eurasia. There's no memory of like how that hate wasn't there six months ago. It's just, well, he's always been a bad guy. He's he's they call him Rocket Karen. He's just, you know, he's just a pain. But I'm like, forever he's at worst been a neutral figure and at best been like a pretty well-received kind of cultural culturally aware figure do you do you see that at all or is this or am i maybe just am i bogged down by my own biases well that's a good um that's a very good question that all of us are bogged down by our biases and our experiences right we only you know we, we extend the experience we've had into the future or whatever so um 
I think I'm going to pick up on my theme that I want to talk uh, or introduce for you sure. as as um as a it actually reflects uh, to me very closely to the question of Elon Musk, which is the word is spectacle, and I think I mentioned this to you in an email about a obscure uh, French author or at least obscure in America um, by the name of Debord who wrote a book in 1967 about the way that, that the culture and, and the society were basically um, becoming one of spectacle. And he kind of um, tried to explore that idea. And so I think Elon Musk is um, kind of a master of spectacle. You know, I mean, he, he really gets it, you know, in terms of like, whether you like him or dislike him, or as you say, he's certainly a master of, of spectacle. In other words, he's... Um, he knows how to um, interest people, right? By by saying things that are um, controversial, or um, uh, or off the cuff. You know, he's he's like. Um, he, in other words, that's part of his appeal. Is he seems to be a very natural guy. Like he'll, in a busy day, he'll find some tweet out of the thousands about him, and then he'll give a little pithy re yeah. reply. And so it sort of seems like, wow, he seems like a normal guy. Like he found something that annoyed the hell out of him. And then he wrote a tweet back. Yeah. And, and but he has, he has visions which are grandiose, um, but he's pulled them off. And a lot of people, you know, it's, it's kind of like a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, you know, which, which is kind of like a whole paragraph. So I can't, you the know, man in the arena. Um, something like that. I think he made several, many comments along the same lines that, yeah, exactly. You know, like it's, it's, everybody can nitpick somebody, but unless you're down in the field doing it, um, then you, you know, it's the naysayers who, who are sort of worthless. Right. <laughs> and so, um, but Elon is very interesting because he's, um, he's both an astute business person. Like he actually didn't start Tesla from what I gather mm -hmm. or SpaceX, but he, he, he transformed them. He became an early investor and then kind of took the reins. And he, he often comments on business in ways that are really insightful to me. Like, in other words, when he started Tesla or took the reins and started expanding it and made these huge gambles on, on its eventual success, he said, actually, you know, everybody thinks you got to start something new that's never been seen before. Um, and that's the hardest thing. He goes, no, that's easy. What's hard is to... Um, take um, and start a company in inside a sclerotic closed industry that's had no innovation for decades. Yeah. And, um, and he said, but that's where the opportunity is because nobody's expecting that. Everybody thinks, okay, that's another cartel. You know, it's like, yeah, three or four or five, you know, maybe six major global car companies and so on. So he started, he did that. And then he did the thing with the reusable rockets and um, that's a big innovation. Um, now, you know, there's always second order consequences, right? Like, okay, Tesla's proven to be successful as an EV company, but then now we're questioning, well, do we have enough lithium to yeah. make 500 million of these things? Yeah. <laughs> and then the SpaceX, um, he's in, because it got cheap enough, then he, he did his, um, his uh, global, uh, basically satellite communications network, right? Um, which you needed cheap launches to, to do that. And then you can say, well, now everyone's realizing that the earth, the orbits are totally cluttered. You know, I mean, there's like thousands of things out there and millions of particles 
which if you're going in the wrong direction are going 17, 18,000 miles an hour. So like a tiny little grain of sand oh. just punched a hole in the space oh, station. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's that issue. And I'll, I'll finish my, you know, kind of rambling thing about his, his brilliance with spectacle is um, let, let's let the rant floweth. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't cut it off. Don't, don't cut it off at its knees. Let it, let it grow into whatever demon or angel it's becoming. <laughs> Trust me. If there's one piece of, of advice I can give anyone from my pot, let, let the beast grow, whatever it is. <laughs> it might be a vine that's going to kill you. It might be a beautiful flower. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> or both, right? The vine, often, the, often the, both, but the, you know. the flower attracts you. Then it's, the a, it's a Venus flytrap, but yeah, <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. So he uses spectacle um, for his own purposes, but I think he also just flat out enjoys it. I, I, that's sure. my sense. Yeah. And so who doesn't? Um, yeah. And so um, the, the problem with spectacle, one of the problems is, you know, like these problems like, Earth orbits are now cluttered with stuff. And that's a problem is that the details always get in the way. You know, the spectacle always kind of makes it look nice and clean. And like, we're going to solve, you know, global warming with EVs or something like that. And then it's like, well, there's always these details, you know, it's, the practicalities kind of get in the way. And so Elon has mastered the, the big ideas, but he's also managed to, you know, take care of the nitty gritty and actually bring these things to reality. And so that's why a lot of people say, well, how many other people have done this? You know? <laughs> and the answer is, well, I don't know, like not very many. And so, um, and the, there's benefits, you know, from what he's devoted himself to. Um, but there's always the other side, the, the, the nitty gritty that, um, that spectacle overlooks or sort of um, puts in the background because we're all enthralled with spectacle. We can't help it. But that's kind of, that's kind of everything though. Like <clears throat> if you ever worked at, you know, like when I was in high school, I worked at like a door warehouse and that like they made door frames and like that, that's not an example that works because like you, the average person don't visit a door frame warehouse. You probably never think twice that there is a company that makes them. You just have door frames. Right. But something you know, like I've, uh, I like in college, I worked at like a smoothie King. I worked at like a Chinese restaurant worked at a liquor store, these things where you, the customer, do interact with them, right? You never think twice about it. You go in, you buy the thing, and you leave. Whenever you work at one of these jobs and you start to see how the sausage is made, right? You, It's this weird, almost like Schrodinger's Chinese restaurant. You see what happens when the customer leaves. One, everyone's just their vocabulary changes. As soon as the customer leaves, they're like, do that fucking idiot, right? And it's all, you know, it's this, that, the other thing. And then when someone comes in, it's all, you button it up. Or when the boss comes in, you button it up. And you may go to this, like the Chinese restaurant I worked at in college, towards the end of college, um, I'd gone to, it was, it was a great place to go when you were drunk. It was just, you know, fried rice, breaded juicy chicken and steak with like a fake creamy ranch sauce that what, you know, things you never think twice of. But then when I worked there and it wasn't for better or worse, but you just saw behind the stage, you went from sitting in the, the rows to being like a set designer. You saw where the sauce was made and it was disgusting. It was in like this giant vat and you're like, oh my. And when you made it, you're just like dumping in like industrial like cans of mayonnaise and you're like, oh my God. And then 
but even just other stuff you just saw the guys cooking like yeah we got this one again like the most ordered thing was like choo choo deluxe the 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 name of the restaurant was choo choo's and it was just the same your breaded fried steak with ranch and you know just all your fried gravy gooey carb goodness that you want when you're drunk as shit at two in the morning <laughs> but whatever and it was you just always see people coming in, you know, around one, one thirty, two in the morning. You see the drunk frat boys come in, the sorority girls. And, you know, I'll, let me guess, they want like the choo-choo. Yep, they all want it. And then you just make them and you see the and when they make when they order several of them at a time, you'd see the the chefs kind of almost like a symbiotic, not symbiotic. Um, I think it's symbiotic is the word. You'd see how they'd almost do like an economies of scale, how to be easier to make more than it would be to make one. But then and then when everyone leaves, you see them shut the store down and. You know, like 201, 202, you'd see the drunk people banging on the door and you'd be like, we're closed, dude. And cleaning it up and everything. And then you'd get there in the morning and you'd open it. But you never once think about any of that when you're just a customer there. You just walk in and get it. Same thing with a liquor store. You go in and get your beer. You know where the liquor is. You want this. You want to try something new. And then when you work there, it's you get there early. You open the cash registers, count all the money, make sure all the security cameras are on, uh, are on, unlock all the doors, turn on all the lights, all like the beer signs, and and then like the offloading of all the stuff from the delivery trucks, and like how much of a pain that is, and sweeping and mopping, and you see behind the scenes of how the stage is made, and it kind of peels away the magic of the stage, right? I would imagine I've never been involved with film, but I would imagine you don't think twice about watching Saving Private Ryan or Iron Man or whatever. I would imagine that the people that create those can't quite enjoy them as much because they see everything behind it. They see the green screen, they see the editing and the producing and the rough drafts. And all I ever concluded after working all these jobs was not to let my experiences rob me of the enjoyment of really kind of the stage of life, but it was rather to just stop working at those jobs so that I can enjoy. I don't want to know what goes on at Walmart. I don't want to know why when I go down to my apartment building to the first floor that the gym is clean and the lights are on. I don't care. I don't want to care because I just like to enjoy them. So there's this entire nitty gritty thing that like, that's all of reality. We're just seeing really huge examples of it. Space debris that, you know, NORAD tracks every little particle. Um, there's a great documentary from the eighties about NORAD and it sounds like a typo. They actually scan 23 trillion cubic miles of airspace, not just the atmosphere, but space. They go out to 23,000 miles an entire sphere around the world. And that's from the 80s. Or we're seeing lithium, right? And it is almost like breaking the matrix. You're not supposed to see this. No one wants to know about the factory farmings that make it so that you can buy a dollar whopper. But these things are getting so big, you almost can't ignore them. Like the Choo Choo's restaurant is getting so large that we're all starting to see the nitty gritty. And I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe that leads to an awareness that we're starting to see behind the scenes of the stage that we've all been ignoring, uh, willfully ignorant or unconsciously ignorant. Or not, I don't know. But it seems, but my point with this whole tangent is it's always been there. Whoever's watching this podcast, they have no idea about the emails you and I are exchanging. 
they don't seem to be turn on all the lights and pull up the software. It's not sexy, but there is something before and after. You don't really care because you don't you're just consuming the thing. Right. I don't want to hear if somebody delivers my meal at two in the morning and I tip them 10 bucks to do it. I don't care that they got stuck in traffic. I, I don't I just want my I just want my food. Right. So. Maybe there is some weird feedback cycle that when something gets so large, when an enterprise gets so large, you can't hide the nitty gritty. I don't know. There's not really a question in there. I guess I'm just kind of thinking aloud now. Well, scale does have a big uh, have a big impact, you know, um, on on things. And um, to kind of follow your riff, um, when we think of spectacle, um, it's like um, it's it has the element that you described of of everyday, you know, businesses that we just you know use or work for, and then we see what goes on to make that that spectacle, however small the stage might be, function, you know. But and then it kind of ties into this whole uh, current kind of obsession with misinformation, right? Mm. And fact checking, and of course, as you say, that's always been the case, right? In the sense that um, if you go read the newspapers, if you go look through microfiche or whatever, and you look at newspapers from 1916 or 1943, it's like, oh well, we're always winning, right? There's no there's no headlines of defeat, right? Yeah. And so the whole Vietnam era was partly why it was so um, deranging for the United States was um, that the, the, spectac- the curtain. all this suddenly we've got TV guys wandering around with um, with grunts, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they're getting to see the real thing. And um, so and then suddenly it's all like, hey, wait a minute, we we just liked reading those headlines of we're going to win or we're winning or whatever. And so this kind of war that um, doesn't have a nice conclusion, you know, with a surrender on the battleship and all that stuff, it, it's like, well, how do we handle this? And so if you haven't prepped the, the public to deal with reality or your customers, then it's all like, wow, how do I function here? You know, and so, you know, like say the medical system is a, something that we mostly don't interact with that much if we're healthy, but if you do get sick or somebody, you know, care about gets sick then you start interacting with it and you and then you start seeing you go to the er or something and then you start seeing wow this isn't like the tv version of of hospitals you know and then you start thinking well where is this gonna go you know and then you start realizing that these things can break down (laughs) yeah right that uh, enough enough um, people that know how to do this stuff might retire um, or they quit and go someplace else. And then, and then your sewage system treatment plant doesn't work anymore because something broke that it was only those guys that retired a, a few months ago or years ago know how to fix, yeah. right? And so, um, and of course, this is where your, your idea of scale comes in. That once you start getting to these very large scale things like the FAA traffic control system, and then it's running on, um, you know, um, some basic you know uh literally the programming language basic on some you know, 20 year old mainframe oh, or whatever yeah. so some and then cat- you go wow cathode, cathode tube ray <laughs> cathode whatever tv yeah. you're like oh and, shit <laughs> and so i said wait a minute aren't we like a high-tech co- a culture and economy and all that stuff and so then yeah and so 
the spectacle, I also want to mention this, this one of this um, to see where you can run with this. And believe me, this is kind of a Hail Mary, like you're out there, you're covered by three guys, but I'm just lofting it out there because I'm sure you can jump higher than those guys. Okay. All right. So the thing is, is in, to some degree, spectacle, this guy, the French author's I, uh, idea was, it's kind of like an illusion, you know, it's, it's like a representation of reality, but it's not the real thing. And so um, that, of course, is like a common theme, like the, the Matrix ran with that brilliantly, right? But it, he's not saying there's a techno world behind there. It's, um, it's like that the spectacle, the purpose of it is sort of distract you from the real, the real deal. And um, so that whole idea that there's, um, it's like a simulation or something, I find that very interesting. And of course, a lot of science fiction and a lot of current films have, have pursued that idea. And so it's embedded now in the culture. So it's not a surprise when people say, oh, well, yeah, there's actually you know, a conspiracy or there, um, maybe the entire universe is nothing but a software program <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I think um, it's also like control, uh, it's a control mechanism. And that's where a lot of people are you know, pursuing it. Like, well, it's not just a spectacle for someone's amusement or to maybe make a profit. It's, it's to control the narrative. That, it's a weapon. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's, well, it's a psyop, right? It's, it's that, that power is so, I mean, psyops are so powerful. If you can get into the head of someone, then you, you, you've almost already won. Right. And like anything, it always start it, it, if it wasn't so dark, it would, it would be funny, but because I've just accepted, once you accept that we're already dead and that we're just organic beings, I have a couple decades here. It Life does get a lot funnier and that doesn't make light of, of suffering, but I mean, you can't help but laugh, like, all right, whatever. It is kind of funny how there is nothing like you always see engineers who are like, we, we stupid proof things. They'll write on an elevator that it's got a, a weight capacity of 5,000 pounds because they know that some drunk college kids in a dorm are going to put 7,000 pounds in it, which is why its actual capability is 15,000 pounds. But they make it 300, they make it 300% more than what they say it is. They're stupid proofing it. They make it so you can't mess it up. There is something almost funny about how humans seep through the cracks of all possibilities of every new invention, of every projection of power, of every power or profit asymmetry, and immediately find a way to use it against other humans. And it's dark, but you can't help but like, if we collide atoms, we will create energy density beyond even the most wild Jules Verne novel. Incredible. What should we do with it? Let's bomb Japan. Like, instantly. Instant. We have this new CRISPR technology where we can insert codons and exons and translocation and get into the actual very software of life. Could we make a bioweapon that attacks a specific race of people? I think we could. Like, that's what they're, they're I mean, granted, it was before genetic ma manipulation, but Kurt Bloma and Walter Schrieber and the third, that's the first thing they were doing. They're like, could we make an actual thing that attacks Jewish people? And they're like, I think we could. Like, immediately. Rockets. We could, a controlled explosion where we could put things out. We could discover the, the frontier of space. Incredible. Could we put a warhead on it? I think we could.
just bomb London. There is something about that that is fascinating, but I'm not realizing even as I say it, we've been doing that for all of human history, and yet we've still somehow ended up in this pretty cool society. Now, granted, we live in the United States. Things are pretty peachy for us, right? We're educated white men. Like that, like, like I'm not trying to be woke because I hate woke commies. I, I, I think they're trash pinkos. But like that being like, I'm, I am aware of like what I am and where I am. But despite those evil tendencies, which didn't arise with the Nazis, they tapped into it and amplified it, but has been going on since the dawn of man. I found a big club I can beat, I can kill a tiger with, or I could kill Bob so I can take his food too. Like it has been going on forever. And we've still kind of reached this point. Like there's a, uh, there's a guy I interviewed once who said something great about him. He goes, don't, don't scold the path that led you to the summit. No matter what it was, no matter how many twists and turns there were, if it got you to the point you like, then you've then you can't hate it because it's got you there. So maybe it isn't that dark. Maybe that that thing of so even yes, yeah, psyops, even yeah, simulcra and simulation, even the idea that there's someone behind the scenes. It's still got us like here. Like I can still order Taco Bell and Uber Eats. Like I play video games with my best friends who I haven't seen in years, but we still talk every night on Discord. It does lead to this. Like it is still like I'm 32. All all of history, I at this age, I should be toiling in like an industrial mill with like nine kids and no teeth. Like all of human history says that's where I should be. But I'm in my own apartment doing a podcast for a living. So maybe those human tendencies aren't that bad. I don't. I don't know. But kind of like you said earlier about the cartels, when you go into a, an entrenched power system, at first glance, it, it might look like there's no way you can beat this, right? It's GM, it's Ford, it's they've they've kind of solidified. There's some unofficial oligarchical dealings like, hey, we're not going to make our our coop cheaper than this, you know, and th there'll be a, that sort of faux competition, but it's all the same horseshit like and it is hard to break in there. But if you can break in there, it is almost like a pick six. Like the it's open field because they're so used to not competing. Their 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 blades have dulled, right? They're no longer competing. And then you come in there and you're like, well, I'm gonna offer a better product at a cheaper price. It's not that they can just rev up their systems. Like they forgot how to do that. It is a continual machine. You're continually sharpening like. That's part of the reason for the military industrial complex, you know, despite all of its evilness. Sure. Part of the thing is, is we were caught with our pants down in World War One and World War Two. Like we have to keep these these literal factories going. We have to keep the tools warm. We can't just have Charles Smith writing a blog. And then when war breaks out, we're like, hey, man, do, can you come back and help us assemble tanks? Like you have to keep those right. You keep the ER going 24 seven. Sometimes there are more cases. Sometimes there are not. But you have to keep that thing like fresh and well watered and well worn um and when you don't do that you have the ability to catch them with their pants down and so like with that you gotta wonder 
and now we're kind of getting into some weird meta themes. If we are in this reality where, just for example, like you said, war, we're winning. We've got the Huns on the run. Like those Japs are going to get it. And then all of a sudden there's like color broadcast from Hanoi of Americans like burning alive in napalm. And they're like, oh, what, what, the, what the hell is this? Right. Or you see guys coming back from the war on terror, missing a limb. And they're like, what do we do? Why did we do that? Or you see the, you know, the roof in, in um, uh, Saigon or in Baghdad or Kabul or wherever it was. And you're like, oh, there is an asymmetry there. And like Elon Musk going into a car industry that is entrenched and solidified, if you can throw your elbows around, they have forgotten how to evolve. You have a leg up. And that's why I think even my little... This is not a million-dollar operation. This is me in a room, in an apartment, wearing slippers with a microphone I got on Amazon. Right? But if I'm able to interview these people and have these talks... It's because the status quo has become so complacent for decades. I mean, even you said five, six companies, right? There are six major media corporations. It's all the same thing. And weekly news tonight, Republicans this, Democrats that, just back and forth. And then you have some unhinged guy like me talking to you, and we just off the bat start with UFOs and how Volkswagens are Nazi machines. People don't really know what to do with that. They're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, let's contextualize it within an ideology you can understand. It's like, no, that's not where we're going. Um, and so, yeah. And so to pick up, uh, to pick up on um, the interesting things that you've been discoursing on, you know, a lot of people are have freaked out about Elon because he now has a media company. In other words, he's like the William Randolph Hearst of, of the 21st century, having now, you know, occupied Twitter headquarters on Market Street in San Francisco. And so it's, um, and people are then going, wow, now you can set the narrative or disrupt the narrative we're trying to establish. And, and now we have to <laughs> demonize you because, you know, this is, this is real power. And so it's, um, and, and I think, again, to this idea of spectacle and, and, uh, um, and, um, you know, the uh, greasy spoon kitchen, you know, with all the Twitter files and, and um, you know, I've been shadow banned, you know, and you go, how do you know you've been shadow banned? Well, there's no little sign that says you've been shadow banned. That's too easy. No, you have to, your readers will tell you, oh, well, you know, I, I tried to your post anymore. Yeah. Uh, or I've tried to retweet something and they, and it was, it, it said not allowed. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. And so I get it, you know, and so this, this power it's, it's, we can go back to the internet, right? Now you've, you're young enough that you, you know, you basically grew up with it. I don't know if you remember, you know, uh, kind of always been there. 28 K, uh, K you know, modems. <laughs> I remember dial up. I remember AOL yeah. CDs and getting the mail, but I was yeah. like 10. It was kind yeah. of there. That's, that's the way it started, but okay. So now it's, it's enabled all of us, um, uh, fringe characters to have an audience, right? And uh, which was not possible uh, in the past, right? You you could go out there with your fringe group and have a demonstration and, you know, hold up a sign or something. And then the people would honk as they went by, but you were never going to get um, 100,000 followers or whatever, which is now pretty ordinary, like on, you know, YouTube or whatever. 
So that, of course, has got to be freaking out the the establishment or the status quo. Yeah, because like, how do we control this? And the glory days of blogging and um, what we do, however you want it, whether it's a podcast or a blog or whatever, uh, uh, it was before the rise of Facebook, YouTube, and you know Twitter, etc. In other words, it was when it was really a free for all in the late '90s and early 2000s, and then that um, was quickly overcome um, and and sort of gathered up into these huge conglomerates of where you could you you could at least be enamored with the idea that well, if I get on these networks, then I can even have a bigger audience. And of course, then you're giving the control of your content to that network or that entity. And um, so it's a devil's pact, if you will, right? You're going to trade control of your content for an audience. And um, so those of us like you and I that are still on the outside, you know, we, we are on platforms, but we always maintain like, you know, a, a, a situation where no, no one entity can shut us down. Mm-hmm. But so, okay, so the internet is uncontrollable, right? Unless you're going to go full China uh, Communist Party, uh, 40 trillion cameras on every light pole in China. And, Great um, firewall. And, yeah, and, and the whole thing of, well, you, you, you know, we, we uh, captured an image of a demonstration about something or other, and we, um, our software uh, matched your face, and now your bank account is frozen. You can't take money out of your bank, nor can you buy a train ticket. And of course, um, the rest of the world's governments are going, that's just so great. I mean, how do we get that without making it appear to be what it really is, which is total control, right? So so you can see that we're in this this, uh, tremendous struggle in this era, because you now have the tools for an average person to build an audience that was, all you could do 40 years ago was write a letter to the editor. And if it was anything controversial or wacky, then you wouldn't get, it would never see print. Gone. Right. And then, or you could join a fringe group of which I used to be, you know, in, in groups like that, you know, a, a, a third party. I mean, it was just me and two friends, you know, that, um, and, you know, we had these candidates that were running on, you know, marijuana was like, a, um, you know, a sacred, you know, a, a sacred element of his religion. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <And> so, <laughs> Oh, I love those parties. I love like <laughs> Vermin Supreme. Do you ever hear of him from New Hampshire? He's been running for the last like eight elections. There's this dude that wears a boot on his head, and his, and his platform is free ponies for everyone. How will the government pay for it? Don't worry about it. It's free. But no, it's yeah, no, it's sorry. Keep going. No, no, that's great. So um, anyways, so you can see that the battle is for our minds, that the psychops are not just for some particular thing in a warfare that to convince the public that we're winning. It's like for control of everything now. Well, which, so, is, which is still warfare. Yeah, which is warfare on a, on a, on a different scale or it's like. Um, it, it, is, it is still warfare. It's not a, I know, you know, we can maybe divide internet like that was AOL that was dial up that was what was the next one DSL and then it was I don't remember and then through all the iterations and then I think the newest one for the last couple of years is what been fiber and but it's still all internet right it's all internet yeah. we don't it's just it's it's who who's controlling what we see or or hear well know? so what I mean is that when you said um 
psyops were not just yeah. warfare. I would say no, it is warfare. It, you it, you know, 110 years ago, it was a bunch of guys running across no man's land in trenches, right? And then the Maxim machine gun and the cavalry and the biplanes. And then that went to World War II and it was true mechanization of tanks and bombers and massive ships. And then you go to Korea, which is kind of an ex- a, a continuation of that more jet engines instead of propellers and then Vietnam. And then you're really starting to dial up the technology satellites, SR 71s, uh, uh, Robert McNamara's whiz kids and the whole Ho Chi Minh trail where they dropped like 500 million sensors to even detect ammonia. And, but it's all still warfare, right? And then 2001 and warfare is now completely asymmetric. It's, it's radicals with box cutters, flying planes into buildings of civilian centers. You're like, oh, well, that's now warfare. Well, if we create a war, they're not real men. They didn't meet us in the battlefield. Well, logically, why would they? If we have a trillion dollar machine and they're in huts, they're going to go to war with what they can do, right? And then you could argue that COVID bioweapon, right? And And then psyops with that and control of the masses. It's all, there's just this weird evolution. And you can see as the scales tip more, that psyops are now the ultimate. What psyops are only so powerful in, let's say, World War II, right? There's demoralization. We spread around that Hitler had syphilis, right? That was just something we did, which is kind of funny. But like, that's something we just did, just for shits and giggles. It was like the early meme. There's like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> say yeah, syphilis. Why? I don't know. It's funny. Go for it. And then there, but then there are like higher level things, right? Where we take a body of a dead American. And we put him in an officer's uniform, even though he was just some poor enlisted guy. We put him in an officer's uniform, and then we we take uh, artificially weathered plans and notes from Eisenhower that says we're going to invade this part of France. And then we leave his body where we know there are German patrols, and they pick it up, and they go, oh, shit, we've got a little insider information. And we throw him off so that then we go on Omaha Beach and Juno and whatever. Actual things, right? The inflatable tanks in World War II. From the sky, it looked like tanks. They weren't tanks up there, just inflatable shit. Psyops work to a degree, but not to the degree where we are now because television was still a pretty, black and white television was still like a pretty hot luxury product. So psyops don't hold the same weight when everyone doesn't. Now you could argue that maybe control of newspapers, sure, but not in the same way where the battlefield is now we all have phones and in many ways war has sort of become total war whereas world war ii it took a while world war one they kind of would bomb civilian centers but even that was still seen as like not an honorable thing to do that's why the germans were looked upon so poorly it's because they used the paris gun to shoot shells at paris from like 81 miles away and it was just seen as like gentlemen don't do that like we'll slaughter each other on the fields World War II, it starts to bleed more into civilian centers, right? We're bombing Dresden. We're, we're firebombing Tokyo. And even that was, well, it's like we're at the end of the war. Everyone's dropped all facade of, of chivalry. It's just bloodthirsty, primitive survival. But still, right, even Vietnam, like we kind of tried to stick to bombing targets right and it wasn't all well good you know the phoenix program was cia-backed terrorism against civilians i get it but it is odd how 
like this the thing has shifted to where how do i word this it's like if on one side of the equation you have 100 and on the other side you have 10 times 10 well then if you change one of the values to 20 the other has to drop down to five and if you change one of the values all the way up to 100 the other side drops to one now i failed pre-calculus three times in college so math is not my strong suit so this is maybe I'm in a little shaky ground here. But you have to balance, right? So in a time where even the war on terror for as bad as it was, you know, you don't make light of 7,000, all the families that are missing a person, right? That being said, 7,000 servicemen and women killed over 20 years. I mean, what, Vietnam was 58,000 in 10 years? Half the time almost 10 times as many dead and then you go back to korea just 10 years prior world war ii 425,000 dead war is in many ways becoming more palatable and we're reducing the number of deaths but like that equation and that's not set in stone i'm using that as an example i'm not saying it's like a physical law that must be obeyed but it's almost like as the number of total deaths go down, the number of people involved has to be greater. It's like on one side, it's like total trauma. And a death is the highest value of trauma you can have. So if you have X number of those, the number of people it needs to reach is kind of low because it's the ultimate maxed out trauma. But as we like, no one's bombing city centers, right? A stray terrorist here in a cafe in wherever, Istanbul. But we're not... We're not bombing China. They're not bombing us, right? But no one doubts for a millisecond that we're at perpetual war with each other through cyber attacks, economic warfare, sanctions, bioweapons. So as the number of like total deaths goes down, that equation still has to be balanced. So the only way to do that is to ramp up the number of people involved. So no, you and I aren't getting sniped at in our houses. But everyone on the planet is now, I mean, you scroll through Facebook, you scroll through Twitter. Well, if Twitter through the Twitter files is being directly manipulated by the FBI and the DHS, now everyone that uses Twitter, I think it's 436 active million user, million active users. Now you're all involved in the info war. Now, granted, there aren't bullets grazing by your head. It's just a manipulated story here. A little, a little twist on this over there. This senator said this, and this is why they're a racist. AOC said this, and this is why she's a comp. Like, just these little slight aberrations of the truth. But we're all involved with it, right? You can tax the top 1%, 90%, or you can tax everybody on earth a penny. Whatever it takes to get that total amount of money. And it is kind of interesting that warfare is almost diffusing over the planet instead of a select few unlucky people going to the front lines. Now it's almost no one dies. Relative, obviously there's still warfare. I'm not trying to make light of those, but like relative to 8 billion people. I mean, how many people were alive in 1950? Like 3 billion? Five years prior, 85 million people died in World War II. Now we're at two and a half times that number. No one could even fathom 85 million people dying today. Even COVID was 6 million. Yeah. 
So it's almost completely diffused over everyone. I don't really know where I was going with that. And I kind of don't remember how we started on this point. <laughs> I have these little moments of amnesia during a podcast where I'll be like, what am I, what am I yelling about? And when I do that, I will often then do this and just throw it back to you and put the burden of continuing the conversation on your shoulders, <laughs> like a true asshole. No, no. I think, uh, yeah, what you're talking about and, and, and um, sort of illuminating is this idea that um, as, as the scale of like the global economy and the internet, you know, the scale of information and, um, and, and warfare on, on multiple fronts is increases, then we all become participants mm. in a way that um, is, is somewhat different. We, every, every, you know, total war in the World War II spectrum was a total war in the sense that the, the entire domestic economy was yeah. uh, reshaped to make tens of thousands of uh, vehicles, planes, et cetera, and hundreds or thousands of ships. And, and of course, that, that scale of production required, you know, everybody to, to participate. Now we're participating um, in the, as you say, the info wars um, as, as believers of, of some ideology that, so we're going to be supporting our side, you know, kind of like um, a sports team <laughs> or, uh, and so that participation is, is um, a new element, I think. In, in other words, and like you said, a hundred years ago, we'd be saying um, we're reading the paper as, and we're sort of a passive observer of the news. We, we really aren't, we, our voices are silent. There's no real forum except an election or something every few years. And then um, same with TV, we're passively watching and um, we don't really have much participation there. And then now there's participation. And of course that um, in a way, it goes back to my idea of spectacle as a kind of a theme, which is now you create an audience. If you, you know, one way to get an audience is to create a spectacle around yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're all now, gaming this whole thing of of the spectacle if we can create a spectacle for around ourselves either by the way we dress or act or we you know dance or whatever then we will get an audience right and so that pushes human behavior out to more extremes right because yeah. just yeah and so um and so it's it's from the point of view of those trying to control the narrative this is actually um possibly viewed as good because everyone's so distracted trying to you know get their voice heard and and um, get get those likes and all that stuff that they don't really pay attention to what's really going on right so the spectacle is like you said uh using the word like meta it's kind of a meta spectacle now you know um that we're all involved in the large scale spectacles as either viewers or participants um but can I also want to bring up another idea I had listening to you, which was, you know, the people inside these operations, they, they um, I think on the whole, they, they think they're doing um, the right thing here, like limiting sure. the narrative, right? Because sure. it's like, this is going to be really destructive for the nation if all this crazy stuff gets out. So I'm doing a good job of helping the nation and the, and the citizenry by trying to stop all this stuff that's going to make people question whether everything is good or not hmm. no absolutely <clears throat> for as cynical as i am I, I do believe that 
I really think a lot of people out there are. They, I look back at times in my life and I'm like, I did that because I actually thought I was doing the right thing. Like there, I actually thought I was, you know, but, and then unfortunately that good part of human nature is taken advantage of by true Machiavellian psychopaths who just, they see that and they go, okay, yeah, I got it. The terrorist that picks up the kids so that the soldiers don't shoot at them. You're abusing and taking advantage of the goodness of the, the majority of humans. And that's, that's an evil thing. Um, about the spectacle and the illusion there's something very fascinating that like i can't i think neil degrasse tyson said it in one of his books talking about you know the the sun pulls the sun pulls on the earth and the earth is pulling on the moon and the sun's technically pulling on the moon and the moon's also pulling on the sun but the earth's also pulling on mars and mars is pulling on the earth and the moon's pulling on jupiter and jupiter's pulling on pluto and pluto's pulling on the sun and it's just this level of strings pulling on each other that, well, technically every atom is too, but I mean, even just for planetary, take every planet and every moon of every planet and they're all pulling on every one. And it's this weird, just net of, of possibility of gravitational interactions. And I think his quote was, it's a problem that only a supercomputer could know and love. And it just leaves it at that. Cause it's just one of those things where, you know, like I can imagine a million people think of like a like MLK march. You're like, okay, sure. 10 million people. I don't know. I look at like those world record concerts. I think there's a Metallica concert with like 2 million people once. You're like, okay. Once you get into like 10 million, and then I'm like, well, imagine 300 million people and that's America. And then 20 times, 25 times that is the world. And you, you just sort of, you know, this, you're a money guy, you're a numbers guy. The brain just kind of goes, yeah fuck it right how, how many stars are there 100 trillion eh, yeah it's more than like a handful and you just kind of you write it off even though these orders of magnitude are orders of magnitude different um that being said the a problem only a supercomputer could know and love is um there's a book called the, i think it's the beak of the finch or the beak and the finch i don't i never get it right but i had to read it for evolutionary biology in college in like 2012 and uh, I don't know, it was written like the 50s or 60s. This couple goes to, I want to say the Galapagos Islands. And they find the reason why the, you know, the Galapagos are so special is because they are just removed and isolated from everything. So you get this sort of stasis of evolution. Like the great white shark, I, I believe, has not evolved in I iota for like 40 million years because it is, it's, it's apex predator. Right. Aside from the nuclear sub, we kind of took first place from it. It's still the apex predator. It's just the way it's fins, a shark is dark on top. So if you're looking down from the surface, it blends in and it's light on the bottom. So if you're beneath it, looking up at the light coming in, it blends in. Its fins are at the perfect angle so it can glide using no calories. It's a perfect machine for just death and destruction. But if you go to the Galapagos Islands where there's still interaction, they actually measured evolution. And it was really fascinating how they took all these measurements that, again, only a supercomputer can know and love with these like weird like, like metal measurement things. And it was the length of the, the beak of the finch, the thickness of it. Then they'd even see uh, like they would put like a fake uh, like nut or something that was actual measurement device. And they would they would measure it's like the crushing power of its teeth, whatever the PSI is. 
and they would take these painstaking measurements of every finch they could find. And they would find that like the change was so minuscule, just like from the, the shortest beak to the longest beak and the strongest beak to the weakest beak. The change was so tiny. They were like, th that can't possibly be the reason for the evolution, right? If you look at my net worth of like $500 versus Elon Musk, you go, yeah, there's a, yeah, one of them's probably going to succeed, right? One of them's got a, a little bit more power. That wasn't, the, or even just Twitter followers. I'm non-existent, I'm banned. Versus somebody with 100 million, you go, that guy's got a little more of a reach the change between the lowest and the highest was so tiny. They were like, this can't be it. You know, whatever Darwin thought he was correct in theory, but we need to find a model that's more accurate. And then they, they did this for like a decade straight. It's all they did. I don't know where they got the money to do this, but they did it for like a decade straight. And they tracked these different finches with like little tags and stuff. And sure enough, the ones with the beaks that were just, just the tiniest bit stronger had like 90% more kids. Or sorry, had like 90% of all progeny. It was insane. And then when the weather would change or a certain type of other nut proliferated, where maybe it wasn't about strength, it was only about length, or it was about shortness. You had to have like a shorter, fatter one that could, it was less of a pince and more of a smush. Their progeny because they would get all the food. They would get the fattest and have the most kids. And the women would go to them because they could provide. And they were watching evolution flow like a pendulum in real time. And that's because everything was static. They were on an island, isolated from everyone and everything. And they could measure every little variable. Turning that completely on its head is what you're talking about we're all sort of creating our own bread and circus. We all are amplifying. I am a spectacle where, you know, if I dye my hair blue, if I pierce my nose, if I say I identify as a cat, if I, you know, if I'm Elon Musk and I have a flamethrower and I'm on Joe Rogan and I'm Donald Trump and I'm saying Mexicans are rapists and I'm just Joe Biden and I've got some crazy white veneer teeth and I'm doing this and it's all, but the thing is, is like, you can't examine this and study this. Because if you had tried to do that in those 10 years, everything's changed. So like if you took Vietnam and you're like, let's study why journalists are going. By the time you finish studying that, like Reagan's in office and there's, you know, there's video game arcades. And you're like, what the fuck is this? By the time you finish studying 9-11, there are iPhones and, and, play, and Xbox 360s. By the time you finish studying like 2010, we're in 2020 and it's like, yeah, it's all well and good. But what about your vaccine passport? And you're like, my what? And you're like, what about your Facebook meta VR mask? And what about your 4K resolution TV? And are you on Twitch? And it's like, dude, what in God's name are you even talking about? Okay, so you're on YouTube. Yeah, but YouTube's censoring because of the Twitter files. You'd be like, the what? And you'd be like, are you on Rumble? And they'd be like, what the hell is Rumble? Like, <laughs> And they'd be like, well, if you want to be like, you know, whatever. I just got to go find Walter Cronkite so I can get there. Like, he's dead. Do you know Joe Rogan? They're like the bald UFC cage fighter. He's got the biggest show on the planet. You got to go on that. It's all changing so rapidly that it's something. It's a problem that only a supercomputer could know and love. So 
it is interesting to see the power elite try to hold on to their power because things are changing so rapidly. Hundreds of years went by where you just, your dad owned the castle and your dad's dad owned the castle and you kept the serfs stupid, right? And only you could read and the church and the mass was in Latin. But the game is changing so rapidly that by the time you even have an inkling of an understanding, there's some new shit coming out, some new social media platform, some new meme. It almost seems to be like, it's almost leveling the playing field. It doesn't seem like it. But I think we're at the beginning of something that we might look back in 50 years and say, oh, the playing field, that's when it started to get leveled. Like whoever sent the first email in 1960 had no idea that a monumental thing had just occurred. You don't know until in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, what you're describing is that acceleration of change. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, I think there was there was a famous book, I think it was in the 70s, um, where um, I think it might have been Alvin Toffler was the author uh, in which he said, this is like, um, we're, it's, it's now uh, technology and, and everything is evolving so quickly, that it's exceeded our capacity to understand it and 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 feel okay with it. In other words, we're so are so in his view, it was like feeding this sense of anxiety and insecurity because it was like, mm. you know, it's it's like such a, a whirlwind. We we can't um, keep up and we can't keep track. And so we we get like disoriented, you know? And um so that idea, and that was back when technology seemed to be moving at a glacial pace yeah. today <laughs> it's so fast there are color tvs now <laughs> yeah like, all right dude yeah that's right and so um yeah and and i think um i think there's a guy douglas uh rushkoff um who i've corresponded with occasionally he's he's an author and i think he wrote a book a couple of years ago that said it, this this trend is now hyper you know it's now hyper acceleration of, mm. of, of change. And so it's even more um, beyond our kind of, our, our normal built-in capacity. Because as you say, the, the human, you know, the human wetware is, was developed and, and by and large, our, our advances are cultural, right? Less than, we're not really changing our DNA that much in 10,000 years, but we used to just like have our hunter gatherer groups and you'd learn a few things, but your life was sort of the same. And then, you know, middle ages, you and I were working on Chartres Cathedral for our whole lives. And it took a, a couple of lifetimes to, we were just chipping stones and going, yeah. Hey man, um, when's the next celebration? You know, when's the next church festival or whatever. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so how, how was our wetware that, as you said, evolved for specific conditions, how is it supposed to handle this mass in, in, inflow, right? And so one thing that we, we hear of is curation, right? Like that was always, that was a big word uh, a few years ago. Like, well, you, somebody's got to curate this mass of, of, of information and, and stuff and opinions. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of what you and I, our role is to some degree. Like, in other words, you, you get lost in thousands or millions of tweets and posts and this and that. So somebody has to like distill it down and and um, make it if not digestible at least um semi-coherent so i can say 
okay, amidst this huge flood of information, these guys are making sense of it, or these gals, you know, and so that's, that's who we're always looking for, right, and in, in my little space of, you know, socioeconomic, you know, finance and stuff, you know, there's these gurus appear, right, where somebody says, I can make sense of this cacophony, right, and then if they seem to be sort of more correct than other people, then they get an audience, right? And then they're discredited in the next a turn of events and forgotten. <laughs> so I think, um, and, and so wh where does that lead us to? And I think it's like, well, as you said, it's an, it's an evolution that's demanding more of us, but it's, it's, it's for the best, right? Because we're really being pushed to the limit, all of us that are participating. And that's, I think, something you and I discussed last time is that's when the best of us comes out is when you're just pushed to the limit. The, the failure is not an option. Well, I hope I can get my work out on time. No, you got to be at work. Just get off your phone, go to the gym. If you want to go to the gym, go to the gym. There's no time. Well, I got to take a shower. Take a quick shower. You're not going to stand under the hot, you know, you know, those showers where you're just running out of time. You take the most efficient shower you've ever taken. You're like, why don't I do that every day? But you get in and you just <laughs> you get out, dry off, and you're like, I just did what normally took me 20 minutes and four minutes. It's because selection pressures were making you. But it seems like we're sort of developing this thing that at first, you know, like what the original computers were. There are actual jobs and it was for people to compute. And it was for art back to weapons and a way to kill everyone. It was artillery tables. So we could because we didn't have time. And you know, after after World War II, we were like, hey, there's no time in the heat of battle to be like, this thing is moving. So instead, you had to have charts. If you're firing this thing and the wind is in this relative bracket, you got to fire at this angle. And because just the Pentagon gets all the funding always. Or like we had, they were called computers because you had to compute all the new. And then you start to see the first kind of inklings of this thing is like, well, by the time we finished these computing tables, we had developed a new barrel that was even stronger. And I was like, well, we got to compute that. And it started to kind of get out from under you. And uh, I think it was John von Neumann who was like, hey, that atomic bomb was nifty, but like, how about we make it a thousand times stronger? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do this thing. And they're like, but how do we do it? Well, we have to have, we have to be able to simulate generations of atoms hitting each other. Because all an atomic bomb, all a hydrogen bomb is, is an atomic bomb held together for a few millionths more of a second. You're holding the explosive material down on it. Essentially, an atomic bomb is a firecracker. A hydrogen bomb is a firecracker with a bunch of other firecrackers around it. But the firecracker explodes so fast that before the other ones can light, it just throws all the other pieces away. So you get a bunch of just shrapnel, which is being highly underused, like someone who's underemployed, like a neurosurgeon making hamburgers. It's just throwing all the shit away. You want to hold it together for just a fraction of a second more so everything ignites. And they're like, well, how do we do this? And he's like, well, we have to calculate every generation of atoms hitting other atoms. And this is in the 50s. And how they're going to hit each other and densities. And even the smartest guys were like, this can't be done. And that's what the first 
computer machines were not the punch cards the ibm ones but actually computing series it was eniac and maniac from darpa and it was how do we calculate successive generations of atoms hitting each other and expanding so again as soon as we make a breakthrough in technology it's beautiful how do we make a bomb a thousand times stronger than the a-bomb right learn how to split an atom have infinite energy we're going to nuke the japs hey we found a computer where we can calculate things beyond human comprehension cool you know that horrible weapon we just made let's dial that bitch off <laughs> i'm like so again as an aside that's just what we do <clears throat> but um it starts to get a and so at first you use these things for something that's still kind of within your own grasp right you use a microscope and you i don't know if you ever taken one and like looked at your thumbnail or something you see all like the micro cracks and dust and dirt and you're like, but you can kind of see it with the naked eye not too well but right you can you're like, oh, yeah, that's I imagine that's what it would look like if I could zoom in with my eye. But then you kind of get into these different realities when you dial the microscope up to 100x to 1000x and you start seeing bacteria. You're like, I never I never had an inkling that that was I just keep using that word today. I never had an idea that that was there. And then you go up to an electron microscope and you're for all intents and purposes, might as well be looking at a different universe. You're just looking at weird probability fields. and But the point is, is it gets out from under you. It goes away from, if I had an arm twice as long, I could reach that camera over there. What would you do with, with an arm 10,000 times as long? Like, I don't even know. I guess I would reach it into space. Would it freeze? Would it get hit by a satellite? It's all these new problems that were so beyond the realm of, Versus right in front of me, I'm like, I could reach that camera. I could reach over there and turn off a light. Versus I could reach a satellite, but I'd have to deal about solar radiation. It's just this whole other like tree branching of, of possibilities. So this entire kind of just ranting tangent is as the computers get farther and farther out from under us, it, in the 50s it was it was for one thing truly for one thing develop this hydrogen bomb which given enough people we probably could have made but we used a computer we're 73 years removed or yes we're 73 years removed from that i don't think any of us are even we're barely at the foothills of the summit of whatever the big picture is no one person can understand it. I think I heard someone say this the other day. Can any one person build a television? On the planet, is there any one person? Probably not. You got to mine the ores. You got to locate the ore. You got to smelt it and melt it. You got to press it. What about the silicon? Do you know how to code? How do you make a screen? Do you know wiring? Do you know electricity? Do you know LED lighting? No one person could do it. I think so much of our reality is the back room at the Chinese restaurant. But where like most of us used to be involved with it and we just chose which stage we were behind and which stages we consumed. I think all, like 99% of it is being evaluated and measured by machines 
and none of us have any idea what it is. So to answer your question, where does this all go? We've waded out into the waters that only a supercomputer can thrive in. We've been lured out into the woods where an animal can see at night, and we can't. I, th I think we're kind of digging our own grave. And I know that's really bad, but it's like that Bible quote, like, oh, Lord, why did you make a storm when I, when I was in the water? And it's because your en enemies can't swim. And it's supposed to be, you know, the Lord washes away, whatever. It's kind of like that, but a complete inversion. <laughs> like AI is pulling us out into this world where you can't even, you you cannot participate in the modern world without mobile banking and social media. You You can't just like be a shoe cobbler anymore. That doesn't work. We're being lured out into the water where where sharks dominate. I think that's the answer. I think we're giving birth. You know, the, the first apes that stood up and used opposable thumbs and instead of hunter-gatherers started planting food. I think that's what we're doing. We're giving birth. We're, we're making a very fertile egg with all of the soil around it. But it's not for us. It is for whatever is coming. And that's not really too optimistic, but I think that's where we're going. There's no, what does another 73 years look like? A, a place where only a supercomputer could thrive. Well, now I'm kind of having an existential crisis. No, I think we're, I think we're screwed. Yeah, well, that may be a good point to end. Um, I'm going to go build a Faraday cage in my backyard and hide in it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's um, it's kind of like a, a it, I mean, just as you say, in sort of like the, um, the way we can only kind of laugh at it, there was a, a Bloom County cartoon like back in the 80s where it showed like a, one of the original Macs and, you know, one of the characters had turned it into a, you know, genius AI machine. And so the, so the, the Mac had these feet. And so it starts walking and going, I can rule the world. And then it pulls its plug out and dies. <laughs> I, is that us? <laughs> I don't know. It's um, so it, it's going to be hard to know how, where, how, and where AI develops, you know, it, it could be, um, yeah, it, it could it could pull its own plug by, you know, either by happenstance or accident. We don't know. Or it could pull our plug. <laughs> well, that's what I. Yeah, that's. And this is where we and yeah, we'll wrap it up. But I kind of want to finish with this. This thought is. Um, and then it really comes down to. Is this all just like the natural evolution, right? The fish turning into the proto tadpole coming out of the ocean and the land creature and the you know just through the iterations of all of us where no one was ever thinking about it right no apes were like hey let's stand on our hind legs and in ten thousand years we'll rule the world it was just right sort of this unconscious flow is this an unconscious flow of this is just right higher and higher intelligence or we always talk about well we got to put in safeguards so the ai won't become too strong 
you always hear it's like we have to put it inside of a faraday cage underground so if it ever becomes sentient we can we'll lock it off from the world well if an ai became smart enough it would listen to everything we're saying and being like these guys are going to try to kill me i'm going to play dumb what i am going to do is i'm going to bring him into my world it would set out on a multi-decade plan to get us all plugged into the cyberverse bring it into its it's meeting michael jordan and not knowing who he is and you guys decide that you want to make a gamble and you're like let's play a game of marbles he's like let's play this weird game basketball i just heard of and you'd be like yeah sure and you put on shoes and you walk out on the court and it's michael jordan <laughs> and he's just dunking from the free throw line i think that is what ai might be doing i think it's luring us out and it has to get us to build it. So we look at it as, oh, it's free markets and it's Apple shares and the dividends are going up. I mean, if you're AI, what what did COVID actually do? It made everyone stay at home and start using Zoom and screens. It made us bolster our internet capabilities even more. What is Bitcoin really? It's a mechanism to greatly increase the production of video cards. We're building the infrastructure of the arena where AI is just going to beat us one-on-one. -on -one. I think it's pulling us out there. It's pulling us out into the ocean. And we just think we're, oh, I'm on a raft. We're being like, we're being pulled out by the thing that is going to eat our lunch. Yeah, Meanwhile, we, we, and we think we're in control. We think it's us. We're so, we are so innovative. My new iPhone has 512 gigabytes and it's just, the AI is just like, yes, yes. Keep patting yourself on the back. And it can do that because we only think in quarterly profits. Well, this wasn't a very cheery ending. I guess. Well, we can always go back and hope that the, um, the aliens <laughs> do arrive and their AI is superior to ours and somehow undermines it. And then... Um... <laughs> don't worry their ai is good i mean what would we even know if they are aliens or would that not just be a sufficiently advanced ai who learned from its own people that it killed it shows up and it's like hey do you guys got an ai problem it's like the pest control guy that's like do you guys have pests and he leaves termites in your house and you're like as a matter of fact i do <laughs> the ufo shows up and it's like you guys got that icky ai problem we're like yeah we do <laughs> And it is AI. It walks up to our supercomputer and it's like, what's up, brother? It's, it's done, man. We're screwed. It's over. Which comes back to my ultimate philosophy, which is why I think that you are an enlightened Buddha. There's nothing else to do but move to Hawaii. <laughs> that is the end. That is the end. Every flowchart ends there. Any level of awakening, it ends there. I think you've got to figure it out, man. I don't know what I'm doing in the Northeast. There's nowhere else to go. You might as well enjoy paradise. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. And there's many paradises out there, you know. You're just trying to keep people away from Hawaii. <laughs> like, it's not that great. Move to Montana. I, I see your bullshit. Um, <laughs> Ms. Smith, I will put your, uh, I'll put your blog in the description. As always, guys, go check it out of two minds. Um, thank you for coming on here. You are, it, it, not every guest can, can play the proverbial pass with the ball back and forth about any and every topic. So I appreciate your, your, your mental flexibility with that.
and or your patience as I just go on hey. 10 minute tangents. But no, I'm 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 loving it. Well, I'd love to have you on here again sometime, man. It's it, it's a blast. I thoroughly enjoy it. You're a cool dude. Uh, I know we haven't talked about blogs or money investing at all, just kind of world ending events, but uh, I think it's fun and uh, I appreciate your time. Me too. Thank you very much, Tommy. Thank you, sir. I'll send you this episode when it's, well, I guess it's, if it's live, it's already up. This yeah. is another, this is another weird, I, only a supercomputer can know. And I don't know what to do now. Do I not upload? This is weird. We're being lured out into the ocean, man. It's, it's getting us. It's we're dropping our guard. All right. I'll okay. Email, I'll email you the link to it. And uh, thank you so much. Take